Welcome to the Altmetric Podcast, where we bring you the science stories that are being discussed the most online so you can find out why. I'm your host, Lucy Goodchild. We know there's a problem with plastics in the ocean, but have you ever wondered how long a Lego brick will survive in the sea? A lot longer than you might expect. In this episode of the Altmetric podcast, we hear from a researcher who studied Lego bricks that washed up on the shore to help us understand the impact of plastic waste. When you think of plastic in the ocean, you probably picture shredded up plastic bags, nets, cotton buds with seahorses' tails wound around them. But do you ever imagine brightly coloured Lego bricks on the seabed? I certainly didn't. But they're littering the ocean too, and understanding how they persist in the marine environment gives us important information about the plastic they're made of. A team led by researchers at the University of Plymouth in the UK studied Lego bricks that had been in the ocean for decades, and their paper in Environmental Pollution caught the attention of the news media resulting in an altmetric attention score of over 500. In this episode, I talked to the lead author, Dr Andrew Turner, about Lego bricks in the sea, how they got there, and what happens to them. Thank you for joining me. So let's talk about Lego. There's clearly a problem with plastics in the ocean, but why Lego? What's special about it? I think that is... um... It's a sort of iconic type of plastic. I think one people of a certain age, it's probably the first plastic they maybe came across. And the other thing about Lego is not only it's iconic, identifiable, but it's it's still you can take old Lego now and still incorporate it into new products. So it's it's still the test of time, and it's one of these almost like an ongoing continuous story and continuous use of of one particular type of plastic. I can't think of many other cases where you'd have a plastic product which is still in use 50, 60, 70 years later and still popular like that as well. Why is it difficult to estimate survival time for plastics in the ocean? So some of the main mechanisms by which plastic degrades are um, exposure to sunlight and then mechanical abrasion on on beaches, for example. Plastic that is likely to last longer, it tends to be the stuff that sinks away from sunlight and, and settles out on the seabed. And Lego itself is, it's actually denser than water, most Lego products. So, so if, if you found Lego, it should sink over a period of time. But those are the plastics which are going to last longer than others that which are exposed to sunlight, for example, at the surface. And one of the difficulties, of, of course, if, if you're trying to estimate the age of plastic, well, two problems. One problem is getting access to that plastic when it's on the seabed. Secondly, is... Um, knowing when that plastic was manufactured or disposed of. And, of course, the thing is with Lego, you have certain batch numbers, you have certain pigments that they use that allow you to date when it was manufactured. And so if you do find it in the oceans, you can work out with a fair degree of certainty when it was manufactured and therefore roughly how old it would be. So that's another unique attribute about Lego. Um, and, And being iconic, it's also fairly identifiable certainly from certain types of analysis so 
you can analyze the pigments they use and, and say, well, that was manufactured in the 70s or the 60s, and then and give you a sort of an age from that. So what did you want to find out with your study? This study was, was rather unusual because we, we hadn't planned it. It's just that a colleague of mine we'd worked with, he, he's a beach cleaner. He introduced me to, the, to some of the Lego that he'd found. And um, I'd been working on Lego in a different perspective, actually. I'd been working on Lego as, um, as a toy and showing that some of the pigments they used to use are quite dangerous, quite harmful. But when I saw these old blocks that have washed up, I thought we could try and match these with the ones that we've got hold of, which haven't been touched, people's collections and so on, and look at the similarities and try and age and date these. So it was, it's an interesting piece of research. Perhaps some of the most fundamental or the, the most innovative research comes from not planning things, but, but having these sudden sparks ideas. And you think, oh, yeah, that's, and, and, it, and everything else fell into place. And because we had this background knowledge of Lego and it, it just worked very well. And, um, you know, it's not often you, you have ideas that come to fruition like that. I have to say, when I first looked at this, I was really surprised. I can't imagine someone throwing Lego away. No. Well, um, we had one lead, if you like. One of my colleagues suggested that it was children who were just disposing of this down the toilet. And, and I was a bit sceptical at first, but we went to the direct line insurance company and they published something saying one of the major routes by which toys are lost are kids flushing them down the toilet. And they estimate that, that millions of toys get flushed down the toilets through jealousy or mischief or, or whatever. I can't, I can't recall doing that myself, but I mean, you, you can't imagine children with Lego sets leaving much on the beach. And there have been spillages from carriers of Lego. There was one in Cornwall years ago, but, but that was a, quite a modern distinctive set of Lego. We're talking about a range of blocks from over the years. And it seems that that's the that that's the main route by which they they enter the oceans, which is it sounds bizarre, but that... well, I don't know. I've got two toddlers, and it certainly sounds plausible to me. <laughs> so, what did you do in your study? Well, we 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 had these blocks of Lego. Uh, some of them have been washed up. Now, I mentioned that they were denser than water, but but if you have storms, some of them will wash up. And also, fishermen throughout Southwest England. We're getting them in their nets as well. So we had contacts with those fishermen and they were able to supply Lego as well. And when we had these old pieces of Lego, which had clearly been in the ocean, you know, from cracks, breakages or, or things growing on them, we analysed them by a spectrometer to determine what pigments, the first thing was what pigments were in there. For example, if you found one pigment called cadmium selenide, which makes Lego red, or used to, they stopped manufacturing that in, I forget the exact year, maybe it was 1980. So they used it between, let's say, 1973 and 1980. And then we knew that that was when it was from. And we could match up the old blocks we had with blocks that have been in people's collections, which, first of all, they look the same, and then we chemically analyze them, and they, they give you the same signal. So we're pretty sure they're the same, uh, not necessarily the same batch, but same era. And also, surprisingly, when you look inside, you can sometimes see the, the signage as well, which, which gives you an indication of perhaps when they were made or who made them, what specific batch they were in, and, and you can match them up that way. So the first job was, was to match them up. 
and knowing the age, then we had something to go by. And, and following on from that, we could do other simple analyses to work out how long they'd be at sea. For, for example, the simplest thing is, is how much weight have they lost. If we knew they started off as one gram and they'd gone down to half a gram in 40 years, we, we, we knew roughly how long they were, they were going to last. So tell me what the findings were. The findings were that it, it could last yeah, hundreds to thousands of years based on the knowledge that if they're 40, 50 years old and they've lost a certain percentage of mass or thickness of the block, then we can work out how long they would last. So there's, there's quite a big bracket. I think um, there is some uncertainty with it, but you have to bear in mind things like exposure conditions. Some Lego may have been exposed to more, let's say, sandblasting or burial. Others may have been exposed to occasional beaching, may, may have been deposited in water which was slightly shallower, so therefore it got sunlight. And also some pigments will perhaps make Lego more long-lasting than others um, and more difficult to break down as well. So you would expect a number of reasons to, to have a, a, a fairly broad range of estimates. But you know, that's the, the best we can go on. The only other study we're aware of where they estimated, it was where they estimated the age of uh, water bottles, you know, the clear drinking bottles, and they estimated they would be about 100 years or so. And, and the estimate we have is, I suppose it's, it's not that far from those bottles um, on the longer side, because obviously Lego's quite a bit thicker. Well, news media were intrigued, and you've got at least 45 uh, news articles, lots of headlines saying Lego bricks will survive more than a thousand years. Why do you think people were so interested in this? I think it goes back to, to the beginning that Lego is such a, an identifiable, iconic plastic and one that you know, everyone can relate to. And I think it, perhaps if you, said, if you had an article on, let's say, the age of general food packaging, I think that would gather as much momentum or interest because Lego is very specific and, 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 and something we can, we can all relate to. So I think that's what picked up the imagination and the, the interest. Uh, maybe it's got, got a relationship with, with childhood as well. Everyone, you know, most people can relate to Lego, I suppose, had a Lego set and, or, or children had Lego sets. And it wasn't just the news media you were just saying before. So somebody's been in touch about using it in something quite interesting. Yeah, I was approached by um, uh, an educational authority in the Netherlands and they were wanted to use part of the research in an exam question. I think it was a sort of an A-level type question. It may have been in physics or maths, but they wanted some images of, of the Lego that we had because I think they were, they were working on questions based on estimates of age or perhaps density of, of plastic, and they, they picked up on that. So, yeah, it has had some, some wide interest in other areas as, as, as well as the media. Yeah. And how did you get this publicity? Part of it was when there's something interesting like this, our, we have um, a news outlet and they uh, a, a sort of press release. And also a colleague had um, feeds on, on Twitter, Facebook, and they had a lot of followers in, in certain groups there as well. So I think that's, that's probably why. But I, I think the press release from the news office here was perhaps the biggest factor. And, and I guess they release press statements all the time, but, but some will be picked up for a lot of people. And what was the experience like? Some were after interviews. Some were, um, <laughs> I, I get a lot of people writing to me with, with long emails about 
you know, how, what do you think about all of this? And um, asking if, if they can send me Lego to analyze, that's another thing. And I've had people asking if we can send Lego to them to analyze themselves. We've had people asking for samples so they can talk about them at meetings. Someone wanted some Lego to show to the audience just to show them how it um, eroded at sea. Even in the university, people have taken these Lego blocks for open days. It's gathered quite a lot of interest. So, yeah, good publicity tool as, as well. Yeah, good awareness for quite a serious issue that we're facing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, we, we focus on Lego, but it all, obviously you can extrapolate this to a lot of other plastics, certainly the ones that, that sink. One of the big issues is, is we're fairly confident we know how much is, is floating around or beached, but you know, the stuff that is deposited on the bottom of the ocean is, is more challenging. You don't really hear so much about the denser plastic like this that sinks. No. Um, on, on some different but related research, we believe that a lot of dense plastic is, is washed up with kelp, which is the, the long, quite odorous sometimes seaweed that comes ashore after storms. And that, that sometimes that can give you an insight to what's on the bottom of the sea. And, and, and what washes up with kelp is very different to the type of plastic you'd normally find on the beach or, or floating around. That's really interesting, yeah. What are you working on now? What's next? Well, it, because of COVID, we haven't been able to get to the lab to do a lot of stuff. I, I did have uh, so, some interesting stuff planned. One thing that we have done, which we've just about completed, is, again, it was a colleague who put a, a call out on social media for Hewlett-Packard cartridges that were spilt from a boat near New York in 2015-16. And they got hundreds and hundreds of responses from all over the world and we've been able to track these and, and try and model where the plastic that's floating actually ends up so we, we did find some in the netherlands there, there, there are some in norway bermuda florida azores and you can you can map out where it's all heading for so that's that's one thing we've done recently but it's, it's really a continuation i think a lot of research leads on to other ideas as you're doing it you think oh wouldn't it be interesting to, to follow this up and, and as I say, unfortunately, because of COVID, we've had more restrictions on, on what we can and we can't do. Certainly, for example, even getting out into the field and, and sampling has been a bit of a problem. Yeah, I can imagine. But that's really interesting, sort of opportunistically. Yeah, yeah, it's opportunistic, yeah. yeah. I mean, another thing that will be interesting now is all the masks that are just discarded all over the place. You know, we, we seem to have got new challenges now with plastic. I, I think we've, we've gone back 20 years because... We seem to be encouraged to use single-use plastic now because of what's happened. So, you know, things are maybe going to change for the worse for, for, for a while. Yeah, it did feel like we were making progress. Single-use plastics were so, supposed to be banned this year or next year in Europe. But you wonder whether they, they will change that policy because whatever you say about plastic, it does have its benefits, in, certainly in terms of hygiene. And I don't know about you, but we've been out limited occasions and we're just bombarded with disposable plastic all the time you think we're going backwards but obviously there's a reason for that at the moment what would your advice be to other researchers who want to engage the public like this with their research if i can pitch it a slightly different way i think scientists have got a lot to learn from the public and certainly um, citizens if, if you like groups on social media volunteers who are beach cleaning people who've got a passion for removing plastic or dealing with plastic. Um, I think scientists quite often live in their own bubble and, and communicate with each other, but 
I think there's a lot to learn from people with expertise. One of my close colleagues at the moment actually lives very close to a beach and has been interested in, in beach cleaning and beach studies for a long time. And, um, you know, I learned so much off her because she lives very close to a beach and can get access and, and goes there on a, almost a daily basis. I think scientists all too often, as I say, live in their own bubble. And, and like this, this idea with Lego, for example, I would never have been aware of this or continued the study if it hasn't been for um, a volunteer who was discussing these, these Lego blocks with me. I think it, it, if as a scientist you want a more open mind, is do be aware of what the general public or these voluntary organisations are doing. And you can learn a lot from them and, and, and that can perhaps drive some of the more innovative ideas. You know, it's, it's being more proactive than reactive. I, I think, again, a lot of scientists react to what's been done before, but if you contact people on the front line dealing with this sort of thing on a day-to-day -day basis, that they have much more interesting ideas, I think, to, to follow that sort of research. That's great. It's about the loop of engagement. So scientists listen yeah. to the public, they learn something, they do a study, and that is inherently interesting to the public. Yeah, yeah. So we've, we've had several research projects over the past three or four years, and, and, and the most that are picked up by the public are, are the ones that have involved citizen science, so, so people who've been involved at the front end of, of, of this sort of thing. If you are somebody who's, who's passionate about plastic litter or problems of plastic, you have some interesting ideas or interesting observations, then, then do get in touch with scientists and, and, and maybe that could lead to a, a small project that could widen the awareness of it and, and put it in a scientific context so it has more sort of robustness. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next month with another headline-grabbing study. Curious what sort of attention your article's getting? Find out at altmetric.com. Until next time.